Welcome. You are listening to Classical Stuff You Should Know. It's us. We're a podcast about classical things. Old books, old thoughts, old paintings, old poetry, old stuff. And we are trying to bring the world of education to you in the most painless way possible. We're coming out of Veritas Academy in Austin, Texas. At least two of us are working there currently. One of that, those people is Graham Donaldson. Hello. I am AJ Hannenberg, and we are joined by our compatriot, Thomas Maggie. Hi, so I'm that third one. Yes. He is that third one, yeah. which brings us to the topic of today's episode, Actually, which is the Mag Bibliography. It oh. is a, a retrospective, if I, you will. I don't know how you come up with these things like that. Uh, on his his time at Veritas, or so I'm led to understand. Yeah, so this we made reference to this in our opening, maybe, again, these... Uh, time it all is, blurs into one. All blurs together, and time is a flat circle. <laughs> but at probably three or four weeks ago, in our opening, we just made reference to, you know, for the entirety of this podcast, it's been three of us at Veritas uh, uh, talking together. And then as, well, at this point, it's been since the end of May, one of us is no longer with Veritas. And so I wanted to at least comment on that. Um, so, you know, for some of you listeners, this will not be a classical work that I'm talking about. This is more of a topic related to classical education itself. Uh, AJ's trying to openly, quietly open a drink and it's going very poorly. I think I pulled it off. Do you actually though? <laughs> yeah. I never know with these microphones what they're going to pick up. So yep. there's no telling. Uh, AJ has to drink to make it through my episodes. So I look. That is a boobly. It is a, it is a boobly. Uh, that's what it's called. It's a bubbly. It's just one U and one B. Well, bu- how do you pronounce it? It's probably a long U. Bubly. 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 I like that even better. Bubly. Um, bubly. bubly. So these are. Uh, <laughs> This is this, uh, this is why we sorry. never do three episodes right. in one city. Let's keep going. Yeah, this is great. No, it's just whenever it's my episode. <laughs> um, so um, most of these are, uh, you know, at one level, listener, you should have questions as to why I'm on this podcast in the first place. And most of that reason is they asked me to guest appear on one episode and then I never left. So that was episode 10. And then they n- never got rid of me. So sorry about that. They had guest appearances in the first 10. But you were the harmony that made the melody. I, that makes no sense. Uh, they had a guest appear in the first nine and that person did not return, even though her episode was better than mine. So here we are. Um, but at my time at Veritas, I was Dean of student life. So while Graham and AJ are like teachers and actually like read the things they talk about in these episodes, um, that's, that hasn't been my, um, job during my time at Veritas. I worked, um, with the students. So my involvement was more, related to student Congress and class trips and um, we have a house system at the school and intramurals. It's like competitions between those different houses. It's the fun stuff. Uh, I mean, school is fun. Also learning is fun. I promise, but it's the fun stuff that happens outside the classroom is one way that I think about it. So we have a Dean of academics and I was Dean of student life. So academics handles classroom stuff. Uh, student life is like not classroom stuff. Um, uh, I've, you know, I, I'm the person who uploads our YouTube videos, so you can blame me that we're like four weeks behind at this point. But uh, in our early I, part of having to do the YouTube videos is going back and listening to a lot of our old ones. And either AJ or Graham, one of them would uh, quip that I was the ombudsman of fun, which I always listening to it like. Listener, I understand that I come off as like a bump on a log, and I know that it probably comes across as a joke. It. Uh, that being the title, but many of the activities that are planned are the fun activities around school. Um, and as I guess we'll get into for the episode, um, I probably focus on student life in a way that's different from maybe the way other people think about student life. And that's most of what I want to talk about here are just some things I've learned about student life from being here that 
again, I know many of our listeners work in classical schools, they which have student life departments or people. Um, there are many um, people who work at colleges that which also have student life departments. Um, so these are just my thoughts from reflecting on five years of being a part of that function. So buckle up for knowledge. Cracking eggs of wisdom. Maybe bringing uh, bringing the heat. Yeah, because again, I've always had to like. Everything that I've brought to this podcast is something I've read on my own time in a way that, again, you all like teach many of the books that you present. So finally, I get a topic that's like a thing I actually have done for a few years. Hey, you did a Euclid. Uh, yes, I guess I should. This is kind of a reference to that. I'm um, uh, so I I think I gave notice in January that I wasn't going to be returning to Veritas and then announced in March, I think, that I wouldn't be coming back. And then end of May was just whenever the school year ended was the end of my time here. Um, I'm in a master's of science of data science program. Uh, so I'm learning math, which kind of prompted the Euclid and the, I forgot the name of the other one, but the, uh, whether math is fun or not episodes. Uh, cause I think math is really super interesting. So that's what I'm studying now. And I know we have a few like math listeners out there. So if anyone wants to reach out, let's talk about matrices. They're great. Cool. Euclid email us at <laughs> classical stuff. Good. Uh, no, the guys cool. at class. Yep. Oh, sorry. It's just going to be quips from Graham and AJ for the rest of this episode. Um, I, I will be curious what <laughs> Graham and AJ, you all have to say about any of these points that I make since you all are pretty heavy, heavily involved with student life as well. Uh, we've made reference before the school has a house system. There are four houses, Augustine Bonhoeffer, Francis and Mueller. Uh, Graham is the Dean. So he's the adult head of the house of Francis. Oh, and, the 2020, 2021 house cup champions. House yes, of Francis. That's what I meant to say. Sorry. sorry. And, uh, AJ is Dean of the 2019, 2020, when did you all last? 2018, 2019. No, I can't remember. Yeah, okay. No one knows. Uh, <laughs> cause it's been so long ago. Yeah. It's fine. My house is more about, uh, the inner house life. Wow. The house budding. of infinite resignation. We have a library. <laughs> We've got free you do have a library. We do have a library, which yeah. Francis does not. Francis doesn't have a library. Francis talks a big game about building some uh, we do. badge system. Yeah. Oh, we never done. do it. Yeah. It's expensive. Uh, sorry, I don't think I finished my sentence. That AJ is the dean of the house of Mueller. So we have uh, dean of house of Francis, dean of house of Mueller. So they're also involved in student life. I'll be mm-hmm. curious what you think about any of these points. Um, so... Again, this is just how I've thought about student life for um, the last five years or some things that I've had to grow into during my time. Um, so, yeah, uh, the title student life uh, is this is a ready for my dumb sentence. It's made of two words. So the student in life nailed it. So I have, I think, five points that line up under student and five points that fall under the like life part of student life, because um, ultimately the those are the two things that you're focused on in the job that you're focused on students. That's like an important piece of the job. And then you're focused on this thing, this life thing, this, this, um, which we'll talk about kind of what that is. Um, and I very much have focused more on the student piece of student life. I'd say over my last five years, um, uh, AJ and Graham have sometimes made references to me as a counselor. I'm not, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a licensed professional counselor. Um, but much of my job has been, the connection connection with students and getting to know them so that they can open up about things and help guide them through situations. Um, something that I have prioritized since starting here is that as Dean of student life, I am the Dean of all students, Dean of all, like there's no, it's not like I'm the Dean of, you know, I was a theater kid growing up. I'm not the Dean of theater life. I'm not the Dean of athletics life. I'm the Dean of all student life. So all th- life, all life. Quite a title, isn't it? Uh, so the, the my first thought is that um, 
under the student piece that a job in student life, and you might broaden this out to ministry or I think anyone who works at a school, that the, the job is to build a bridge to every single student. That I think it's easy to come into a job like this and have preferences for certain kinds of kids you like, mm-hmm. certain groups that you get along with. And there are certain relationships that will be easier to make than others. Um, but the goal should be not to stay just with that group of students, but to show that you're an advocate and show you're a supporter of all students at the school. Um, I was, there's a documentary called Godspeed, the, the pace of being known. Have you all seen this before? Nope. It's the story of this pastor who, before he was a pastor was in seminary and took a class with Eugene Peterson hmm. and the, uh, pastor, I think his name is Matt. I think it's Canlis. I, I always forget the guy's name, but he, he was going to be pastor of a mega church was his goal. He wanted to, it's his phrase he used over and over again is that he wanted to modernize the church and he wanted to make these big changes to the church to like all, you know, big C church is what he's thinking. And he takes this class with Eugene Peterson and he is so frustrated by the class because it moves slowly and it's about reading old books. It's not about how to grow quickly. It's about how to, it's, it's, you know, gaining, it's gaining wisdom than more so than it is. How do you attract followers? And he's really frustrated by this class at first, but then kind of grows to be interested. And Eugene Peterson challenges him on his goals of changing the entire church, um, which will eventually lead him to reject this idea of going for the big mega church. And instead he ends up go, go watch the documentary. It's only like 40 minutes. He ends up in Scotland. He gets to Scotland and uh, is assigned the small little parish church. And he shows up to the church and he's, you know, looking around and says, you know, where's my office. And he's told promptly, um, there is no office because your parishioners aren't in this building. Your parishioners are outside of this building. Um, and that's something again, to connect this with, the job is to build these bridges to every student. Um, the The goal of a day is not, did you get a lot of emails answered? Did you um, accomplish your tasks for the given day? But it's, did you reach out to and build relationships with students? And sometimes they're nearby. We have a common area where people hang out. Sometimes you have to go and find them. Um, but that's, I think, a starting place for this role of student life is building bridges to every single student, not just the ones you connect with very quickly. Any thoughts on the thing the first before I keep going? How to go for the guy in Scotland? Uh, very well. He, I mean, he made a documentary, right? Um, how did it go for him? It was really hard at first, and he it frustrated him. It moved slower than he wanted it to, but he eventually gets to this point, and he talks about it that he's giving a sermon, and he realizes that the sermon he's giving isn't just here are my best thoughts on pick the topic. It's here's a message that. Mary and John need to hear it's he eventually realizes he's embedded in this community and that's more valuable to him than Mm -hmm. him having, um, you know, 5,000 people show up on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. So things eventually work out well, but it's a slow, it's a painful process for him. Um, which I think is, I think is a piece of ministry, right? It's not always easy. Do you see that pastoral side of student life? Sure. Like if you're, you're drawing the connection that like this person who's a pastor shepherding souls in Scotland, that is something that is drawn into student life. Yes. And again, my point from before is that I think different people who get into student life will focus on either the life or the student part. And the life part is the putting on events and activities and things that people can come to. It's the, you know, 
it's prom the, and dances and games yeah, and fun. intramurals. And, and, and some yeah. people are really drawn to that stuff and are really good at putting them on. And I, again, that's one way to accomplish student life. I'll talk about it in a little bit. I think it's an important part of the um, life of the school. The, yes, the, to the, have events and activities like that. But definitely what I brought to this, what I was more interested in was the student piece, the connection one-on-one. Because again, I think you can put on big fun events that don't reach or connect anyone, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, I, I would, yeah. Um, I'll say later that anyway, it's pastoral in a general sense, but it I, I was not a pastor during any of this time. So I would say that. Um, and part of that is in the school context and in the high school context, you are an authority figure. And if your first conversation with someone is a confrontation, you're going to be, it's going to be difficult for you to one, have a good first encounter, be the confrontation. And also that paints you as the discipline guy, or it paints you as, um, a tough teacher who's just out to enforce rules. I guess, do you all find that in the classrooms might be different? Yeah. It's the thing is it's, it's easier because in that classroom, I find that like, if my first impression with like a freshman that I don't teach is me saying like, Hey, tuck your shirt in. And they're like, I hate that guy. I know I'm going to be getting them for 72 hours next year. And that's where the relationship is going to be built. So uh, it's less like the first impression. uh, I don't worry too much about it. I actually kind of like having SL school of logic kids be kind of scared of me. Uh, Yeah. I find it practical for my classroom to be kind of a hard nose. The first couple weeks you need them to be clear that you are going to run your ship and run it well and not mess around with the rules and enforce them and enforce them consistently. And then it's because it's far, far easier to relax the rules later than it is to tighten them up. People don't like that. But we know we've got structured time where they have to listen to us for a long period of time. Whereas in another instance, you, you know, you may lose them. And if that first interaction is not good because you may not be talking to them for five weeks or and whatever. the other thing is that just because you don't bump into them in the right. hall or whatever our purpose is not my purpose is to teach them english and to teach them it's, humanities and and relationship is a big piece of that but it seems like in student life the re- the relationship there is absolute forefront yes because it's what you said before it's because you don't like the student doesn't have to talk to you and so you become ineffectual if you're only the person who's enforcing rules without them also wanting to come to you to talk about things again that's on the student side of it if you're focused more on the life side of the cultural events you can probably get away with not caring about a first impression or not building bridges to every student but i just think it's something to be careful about in going into a role like that Mm -hmm. yes you need a distance where you're an adult you're enforcing rules but you also need to be someone that is trusted and that they're able to go to again this is where it's easier for a youth pastor to fulfill a role like this because they don't usually have the rule side of it unless they're on a retreat or an event or something like mm-hmm. that um you, you know youth ministry comes with its with its own problems okay so thought the first maintaining the goatee the big one yeah the, the definitely the biggest yeah. one okay so that first part on the student side is to build bridges to every student to not have biases to um care about and want to know all students there's your obvious statement for the day um but then the second thought ties and in, ties into that um if I use the phrase bridge to nowhere, does that ring a bell to anyone? New Jersey. Oh, is that the one you think of? I think there's one in Seattle, isn't there? Well, tell me more. They're, they were going to build this big freeway and built an on-ramp to it, and then the funding disappeared, and now they have this big on-ramp that leads to a giant drop-off, and there is nothing there. 
and they have big cones in the way so that you don't accidentally find yourself on the bridge to nowhere and launch your car off this big launch ramp. What's the one you're thinking of? Uh, Governor Christie, bridge to nowhere. I don't know. I just remember. Just I just remember going to people's houses that listened to the news, and oh. that was what was being screamed on That's TV funny. at that point. The, I don't know anything about it. The one I think of is from. Uh, apparently, there's a whole category of bridges to nowhere. So the, this is a, a thing beyond just the few examples we're coming up with there's one in alaska from early 20 teens so 2011 2012 it was a uh, bridge so there's a there's a ferry between this island and the mainland in alaska they wanted to build a bridge instead the bridge was going to cost 400 million dollars but what it would end up connecting so first off they're already connected by a ferry but this 400 million dollar bridge would connect the mainland to a city with 50 people um it came under heavy scrutiny and ultimately was canceled but that's the example I think of understandably people were frustrated by the idea of putting in $400 million to connect a very small Island to the rest of Alaska. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it mattered to those 50 people very much. So thought the second is that if you're going to build um, bridges to students, you need to then use those bridges. And by which I mean um, just in being here, you'll like there, it's easy to get a student to like you. You can be easy on rules. You can be friendly. You can be nice. You can do all those things. But, and, and maybe that friendliness will build a bridge that makes a conversation easier. But if you're not crossing that bridge to have a difficult conversation, you're spending the $400 million without frequent use of that bridge. And that, um, it's uh, wasteful is the wrong word, but it's, what's the point of building the bridge if you're not going to actually use it? So does that make sense that it's one thing to be liked by people? And I think that's the kind of stereotype of a youth pastor. But if you're not going to engage in the work of trying to improve students to get them to a better place to challenge them to confront them about things that you learn about them then what's the point of building that bridge in the first place yes i mean so what would be an example uh so when you of crossing the bridge you you mentioned having a hard conversation but it is is it also like getting having a student sort of shoulder responsibility they sure. wouldn't necessarily have done in the be first interested. place yeah sure it, but even in that it's you know um being able to talk about moral categories of you know Um, needing help done around campus. Someone has an off period and they're not doing anything, but still, but them saying no to it to be able to have the conversation of, you know, why not? Is this laziness? Is this, are you actually busy and stressed out? Like that's a tough conversation to have where it's, do you have a good reason for what you're saying? Or are you just, um, um, responding this way? So that's what I'm, uh, that's one way of doing it. The other is that in, in interacting with a student, sometimes you'll notice, some they're um, they're telling jokes that they shouldn't be telling. They're mm-hmm. laughing at things mm-hmm. that shouldn't be funny to confront them with. You're um, worsening yourself by being engaged in those things. Mm-hmm. Again, if you're if if all that happens is you hear t- someone tell a dirty joke and your first conf- your first interaction with them is a confrontation, that's not as effective as you know that this adult cares about you. You know that they. Um, um, you have a relationship in the first place and then they confront you on it. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean by walking across the bridge. Gotcha. Am I being clear on that? Yes. I was going to make a, a takes its toll joke, but I couldn't figure it out. But bridges and tolls. We can wait. Yeah. I mean, I got like a few more of these. Gotcha. So you okay. have plenty of time for cool. sure. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about servant leadership, right? Where the relationship there isn't about amassing a bunch of Magby loving followers, but doing capitalizing on that relationship to work change for their sake, not yours. Yeah. This was the thing from financial advising that Mm -hmm. you you measure the strength of a relationship by the hardest conversation you've had with that person. And so it's one thing to have lots of people who, like you said, like, like you think you're funny, um, want to hang out with you. That doesn't mean you have deep relationships with people. And this isn't 
that's not solely a student life thing. That's think of your friends. What's the hardest conversation you've had with them? And that's some proxy of um, closeness to them. Um, and again, I, it's, what's the way to say it? Like for you two, for the students that come back to see you after they've graduated, it's probably people who have opened up to you about something or you've given them advice that's really mattered to them. It's not just the ones who are like, AJ and Graham are really fun. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. That's true. Um, Sometimes you don't know if it's advice you've, like if you've said something that's changed their lives because we do teach them literature and I bring up a lot of things and you never know what is going to work its its way into the soul of a student. And so sometimes they make those visits and you don't know that you had a large, they'll be like, do you remember that class? And they'll like describe it and you'll be like, yeah, it kind of sounds like someone (laughs) might say, and they're like, and for them, yeah, it was absolutely changing. And you're like, cool. Um, but that, yeah, that's, that's more like, at that level it's like common grace or you know it's it's god's hand as opposed to my master plan or whatever yep or you just you do you're doing the same thing year in and year out so it's it's yeah <laughs> so like good on the i don't know your your work is to do as good a job in those lectures as you can and then i i see it as throwing a whole bunch of spaghetti at the wall and just seeing what sticks yes exactly yeah. yep all right um so uh build bridges but then you have to actually walk across those bridges so again in any kind of ministry activity where you are, I'm thinking mostly, again, I worked with high schoolers primarily. So that's what I'm thinking primarily for this. But um, yes, it's good to build connections to show that you care about who these people are, but also then you have to have those hard conversations and not just be satisfied with the surface level. You know, I tell funny jokes and they think I'm an okay person. Um, again, part of, to the third, part of what, um, when people view this role in a counseling position, it's because, those bridges are built that students will want to come and talk about things that they're going through. Um, uh, there are just, there are many stories throughout the years of, um, students opening up about something and then an adult reacting, um, uh, having a large reaction in response to what a student has said. So like having shock in response to what someone has said, and that almost immediately will shut down future conversation. Uh, there's a concept from a, I'm sure there's a psychologist named Carl Rogers. One of his ideas is unconditional positive regard. This is a phrase you all have heard before. Nope. Unconditional positive regard um, is, uh, again, I'll just read, this is straight the definition. The basic acceptance and support of a person, regardless of what the person says or does, especially in the context of client-centered therapy. Client-centered therapy was what Carl Rogers developed. So acceptance and support of a person, regardless of what the person says. I think this is wrong. Yeah. Just so I start okay, my... Okay, interesting. I was, because I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, so the... So the part I agree with of this is, um, so to acceptance and support means you can't be shocked by someone when they say something to you. Um, but you can't support everything that they say or do mm-hmm. that, um, you know, in, in a student trying to determine like how much, in what way do I talk with this person? Do I talk, or, or do I talk to them as I do to appear? Do I talk to them as I do to my teachers? Um, they're going to make mistakes in that. And your job as the adult in the room is to make clear when they've made mistakes. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And part of it is both. Um, it's not just I'm an adult. Don't talk to me that way. It's that's not a way to talk. Does that, mm-hmm. Am I being clear? The The point to say is that you should have. Uh, there should be a positive regard of the student. You should you should like the students that work at the school that you work at. If you work at a school, you should love your students to quote Graham's thing that he said many times. Um, but you should, um, I think in my defense, the quote was, oh my goodness, I have to love them. 
Yeah, if I'm going to do this job properly. <laughs> that's what I'm saying here. But what you're loving is both, yes, who they are right now. It's not always their mistakes. It's who they could be. Yeah. And it's seeing through, you know, everyone will mess up at some point in the year. And most people will have low points during the year. But to see that whatever problem they're going through right now isn't who they'll be nine months from now, 10 months from now, pick your number. Um, that's what I mean by an unconditional positive regard. Unconditional positive regard for who they could be. That whatever thing that they are talking with you about or having questions about or doubts about again this is a christian school talking about faith or anything like that um it's not being shocked at whatever they say but it's having a trust that they'll get to somewhere better as a result both of this conversation and conversations they'll have with parents church members things like that yeah also just sort of a benefit of teaching of being a teacher in a classroom is we have more of that built in i know how to talk to this person that when they if a student wants to come and talk um, outside of class, they do have that like, oh, wait a minute, is yeah. it Mr. Donaldson my teacher? Yes. How, what's my relationship with Mr. Donaldson? And there's always that really funny thing that happens after graduation where they come up and they're like, hey, Graham, yeah. ho, 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 because they've perceived that, you know, or not perceived, it has been that there is a, there is a relationship between teacher and student um, where the first name is, you know, part of the relationship is you don't say it because it's too too familiar. Yep. But now that we're graduated, we can. Um, but but there is that, yeah, there there is a built-in, uh, I don't know maybe if, if you felt that there was a built-in relationship with student life or if every student kind of like had was trying to figure that out. I don't know when you say built-in. Well, I just mean like, um, like our relationship is established. We're teachers. Yes. They, they come to us. We are authority figures in their life. Whereas your role is less. It's more in between. Defined, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you get to define the parameters in my class. If you aren't in uniform, I'm going to give you a mark. Like it's yeah, sure. There's, there's the same enforcement of rules. I'm saying that you have, whether they like you or not, they'll be in your classroom for right. an hour or twice hours. a week yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. it is. And in a way that they, um, they I'm, could avoid you for four years if they wanted to. And they, and, uh, and they could, mm-hmm. yeah. And that, I think that's the point. And so there's, there's this weird in between of you need to develop this trust. If you're going to, again, if, if you're going to focus on the student side of it, which is like, it, it's harder to do this stuff. It's easier to just put on the events and put on the activities and then not care about the, um, student connection and the opening up. I just, I find that less fulfilling. Than, mm-hmm. That makes sense. So that's how I think about it. Um, so the, so that's taken us through the first three of them. Build bridges to every student. Those, bri- those bridges then need to be used if you're going to actually bridge them. You should have a um, positive regard for your students, but not just for who they are, but who they could be. Um, and then this fourth one, this is kind of starting to bridge the gap between the student part and the life part. But in in planning activities and planning what structures we have at the school, um, I've had as a guiding principle that I want for every student to feel like they belong at this school. So... Um, if you think about like the activities that a typical school has, um, you'll have, you know, we're in Texas, um, uh, for there, there is an athletics program at the school, right. And that's going to exist, um, apart from student life and whether anyone plans anything out. We have a fine arts department. Like there are people who will, who are theater kids. They'll be a part of that no matter what. Well then the, if you're not into uh, athletics and you're not into fine arts, what do you do? I guess that's the way to, to, to frame this. Um, I think this is where something like uh, club, the club system falls in pretty um, importantly there that whatever interest you have, if you can find 
six other kids who are interested, you can start a club for that also, which means that no matter what the thing is that you're interested in, you have an avenue to find people who are also interested in that. Um, and then there's like school time built in for that. The way Veritas structures it, you also have to have a teacher there. So you'll have like a teacher support that you might not get if you're kind of outside of one of those typical pathways of academics, athletics, or fine arts, just to think about those. Any thoughts on that before you all are both club sponsors, I mm-hmm. believe. Have you enjoyed your club time? I do. Oh yeah, I do. We got board game club, bad movie club, um, fishing club, fishing club. We had random club for a while. Random. We had dress down day club. We had finer things club. Finer things club was nice. They, the tea club is still going tea strong. Club's still tea club still going, going strong. We had literature club still going. Mm-hmm. I dig it. But the point is that if a student wants to engage, wants to be involved, do they have a pathway to do that? And again, that's just being thoughtful about what things are you planning? And there's, yeah. And allowing a certain quirkiness, I guess, is maybe the way I would put that. I'll get to that in a little bit. Like the Studio Ghibli Club. Yes. That was a great club for people who... Still going on? They yeah, started back last year. Yeah. Um, okay, I dig it. So um, every, so again, the, the goal in this programming is to have, um, to find a way that where every student can belong if they want to be involved. And again, you'll have a range of student desire to be involved in stuff that the school does, and that's fine. Um, this bridge then between the student piece of it and the life part of it is that um, when you're planning events, when you're planning activities, um, you... Um, to oversimplify, you kind of have two ways of going about it. You can either have parents run everything, you which and parents will put on an immaculately presented event. Uh, they'll follow all the schedules that you set out, um, and like the event itself will be great. So when you look at our SL dances, they it's mostly parent run. Um, they do a great job with all that work. The other side of it is uh, to have students run those events instead, and there are certain challenges that come with having students run an event as opposed to adults. Um, Students are harder to wrangle, to schedule, to make sure that they meet certain deadlines. Um, And this, I'm speaking as an extreme over the course of five years, this got much, much better to the point where our students put on excellent events. The point being, you can pick one of those two, kind of the professional path where the event is perfect or the path where students are doing most of the work, which will come with more problems than the professional path. The student path is better than the professional path. That's my only comment on this one that, uh, I don't think the goal of putting on events is just to have great events. It's what impact will that have on the people working on those projects, um, for having put in the time, um, to put them on, to be more, again, we run this by, uh, Veritas runs this by having a student Congress that puts on these different events and, there are what, when I first came here five years ago, I ran almost all the events by myself and it led to, I was working all the time and my events weren't that great because I'm not very cool. Um, to five years in students run almost everything. Um, and you just get, a you see that growth over time of passing things off to students. They become more engaged with them. They're more creative than one person can be. Anyway, the challenges that come with having students plan events are worth it is the only point that I'm trying to get to with that. This is not a metaphor that anyone will appreciate, but um, I have a, a two-year-old and I, um, I, when I say not appreciate, I mean, because I'm comparing high schoolers to two-year-olds, that when we do cleanup at the end of the day, it is much easier for 
me or my wife to just clean the stuff up ourselves. We, you know, at 32 years old, we're pretty good at, cl- at picking stuff up. But the value of teaching our son to pick up after himself is worth the extra time that we put in, right? Showing him that this is how we wrap up the day is worth the extra time that we put in to clean up in the same way that it's better to have students involved with something like this than it is to just follow that professional path, put on great events in and of themselves. But you don't let his final product be the way that the house is set. Once he goes to bed, don't you finish it up? I wouldn't say finish it up. I would say that we are working alongside him as he's cleaning up. So, I mean, for the stuff he's picking up, he's, he's not that bad at it. But that's not to say that there's there's more cleanup to do. But what he's able, the part that he's able to do, we have him do. Yeah. That maybe, maybe that's the way to put it. I guess it's if, you, if the part he's able to do and he doesn't do it, does it stay undone? Um, in the case of our son, he, we, we will, what's the way to say it politely? We, we will clean it up together, mm-hmm. right? Like you're going to make sure it gets done. Yes. That's what He's I mean. He's not going to bed until the toys are in the box. We're the one who we, we put him down. Sure. So if he hasn't cleaned up or we haven't cleaned up together, mm-hmm. we're just not putting him down. But in, and so if, in if, the student case, you would let, yes, you should absolutely let something, you should give ownership to students and we've, we've never had we've never had the situation where they've just totally dropped the ball um but you should let that weight fall on them because it's their ownership of the event mm-hmm. such that then you can praise them when it's successful give them all the credit for it because you haven't really done that much um so yes absolutely you should put them on the hook for planning whatever activities fall under student life and if things don't come together they don't come together i think would be the answer to that so your job is just to field the negative emails that come <laughs> when events don't quite pan out uh again that's never happened and oh, I, really where, where things haven't panned out i would say they haven't um and again following the metaphor of cleaning up with a two-year-old you're doing projects alongside them but the goal is that they would be able to do them on their own so you're training up students and you have a hundred percent turnover every four years so the, the work of training is constant um so i mean that's part of the job and it's yeah Training might take more time initially, but eventually... Hopefully you have 100% turnover every four years. Yeah, you better, or else you got bigger problems going on at that point. Okay, so that's as much uh, um, as much as is possible, um, having events and activities run by the students that you're working with. Again, in, if you look at student life in colleges, this is a very common feature where it's a student congress of college students who are putting on most of the events. You'll have a full-time staff person you're working with in addition to that, but having student involvement helps with people actually showing up to the events and stuff that you plan. So I guess an important part of student life is having students do the work. Um, I, okay, that's, that's it on the student side. So again, that's the focus on the students by doing, to do that, it's building bridges to every student. It's then using those bridges to actually have tough conversations, confront students when they need to be. Um, having an unconditional positive regard for who the students could be, and then uh, ensuring that the structures of your school, that every student belongs. And then the last one I just went through is that is passing off responsibilities to students as much as possible to have them be engaged and involved. Moving on to the life piece of it. Um, uh, one of my, uh, whatever, a, a thing that I don't find helpful, but that happens all the time is that people will say, we'll talk about some other school and the events that that other school puts on and then say, this other school does this. We should do something just like that. Um, and 
I've almost never seen anything pan out from ideas that start with this other, this other school does it and we should do it also. Um, this is a, an Aquinas thing. The word quiddity. Have you heard the word quiddity before? Do you know what that is? I've heard the word. And uh, isn't there a podcast called Quiddity and something? Oh, anyway. it's probably, uh, I think it's a Cersei podcast, yeah. actually. Um, so uh, Quiddity is um, like the essence of a thing. It's like the wetness mm. of an object. Um, it's what makes things unique from other things. Um, and each school should have a quiddity. You should, uh, Veritas as a school is different from other schools. And so therefore the events that you plan, the activities that you do, again, this is the life piece of it, um, have to be different from other schools. Um, and so just because another school has an event that, um, students are super engaged in that sounds really cool. Um, you think would have certain results that you want to see in your students doesn't mean that it would be a good fit at your school in the same way that, there are events that your school does that other schools should not adopt. So for instance, we have an event called Defender Pretender. What is Defender Pretender? It's like a weird man pageant. Yeah. That's a piece of it. That's the Mr. Defender part of it. And then there's also, uh, some sort of sporting event, like a football game. Powder puff. Powder puff. Kickball. 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 Switch to kickball. That's right. Um, so, um, and, uh, it's kind of a weird thing. <laughs> it is a weird thing. Yes. So it's. But people love it. Yes. I look forward to it all year. Yeah. Historically, it had been a powder puff um, football game, which I, I know when I describe it this way, it sounds pretty standard. It's changed since then this year. It was quick kickball. Um, um, too many, too many injuries. The injuries were unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, girls play a sport to begin with. And then the boys have a pageant afterwards where they'll do a modeling portion and then a talent. But Describing it that way makes it sound like pretty standard fare for things that high schools do. Um, I don't know how often um, uh, um, desks will be banged in with a um, with a bat, or um, a, a, a people will turn from Julius Caesar into a sandwich, or like there are weird skits that go on as a part of the the man pageant that they're referencing. But that works because of the school that the event is happening at, and it wouldn't necessarily translate to some other school. It's weirdly low risk. What do you mean? Like, I, I feel like if I had done some of the, some of the stuff that goes on on that stage at my school, I went to a public school, then I would never live it down. Right. Yes. That, that, that there, because our school is a pretty accepting school and one where we don't take kindly to people ragging hard on each other the the there's lower risk to get up there and make a fool of yourself because nobody's going to remind you of it every day yes but if another school were a more refined school i I don't mean i'm not trying to i'm not making a positive or negative regard either way but i could imagine a school that's more about if we were fancy that's what i mean like (laughs) if, if there were a school that was more about um etiquette and um culture and do you know what like and an event like this wouldn't work. And I'm not saying one's better or one's worse. It's just part of the quiddity. But you have to know the quiddity of the yes. place to then say, this is what fits in here. And as opposed to what fits in other places, um, there, the, the quiddity of Veritas is, is pretty quirky. And as you can tell from the events that we're talking about right now. Um, and so sometimes ideas that are more solemn just don't fit in with the quiddity of Veritas. And that's the only point that I'm trying to make. You have to know what is the uniqueness of your school. And then the events that you're planning should match with that uniqueness. And I understand that you might want to shape it and move it in certain directions, but you won't have buy-in if it doesn't match with the existing wetness of the school. Mm-hmm. So that's point the first. 
Um, the, the shifting of liquidity of a school is an interesting concept as well because it will move over the life, over a long period of time of the school. And the question is, are you going to be active in directing it or are you going to let it kind of like grow or metastasize on its own? So mm-hmm. um, I think there always needs to be some kind of telos of what you want to be or some sort of aim that you're aiming for. And then there's always the organic allow it to grow. I mean, and this as the student body comes and goes, yes, a culture is passed down, but it also changes. And it, it, yeah, it's an interesting uh, thing. Let's go with that. I'll go out of order. So um, what you're describing, there's a fancy name for that called emergence. I don't know if that's a mm-hmm. word that you've heard before. I was introduced to this. Um, I think I've told you all that I, I um, try and take uh, college classes every semester. And a few semesters ago is biology classes I was taking. And there's this property in biology that as you move up the chain of bi- biological stuff, you have these new properties that just show up all of a sudden. Um, so at the very bottom, you have atoms, atoms combined together to become molecules, molecules combined together to become cells. And at the cellular point, you have this emergent property of life. Uh, molecules are not alive and cells are. So by somehow these molecules gathering together, something happens and then life occurs, right? That's, you know, that's the biological way of understanding life. Well, in the same way that goes up the chain, that cells are different from tissues, tissues are different from organs, organs are different from humans, right? Well, that chain continues up where um, there are traits of one person that as you add more people, you develop other emergent traits. There are emergent traits of groups of people. Mm -hmm. This would be like society or um, a a word that I kind of hate, but I think is the appropriate one is culture. Um, So culture is this emergent property that you have as you get more and more people together, there's a certain way that that group of people will tend to act. And that's what I would in rough terms call culture. Um, And so in thinking about this thing, culture, and then, and think about what Graham just talked about of shaping culture or quiddity or the uniqueness of a place. One way of thinking about that is to, I want to go after the culture of a place and I want to fix the culture of a place. But I think it's really hard because it's an, it's an amorphous thing and it's hard to think about what does it mean to change the culture of a place? Well, if we're following this idea of, of emergency, well, that you, you know what I mean? Of emergence. Um, you don't have to go after culture only at that level of groups you can focus on the smaller levels from that and that's at the at the level of the person that so by which i mean since the idea of changing a culture is a large thing you can more easily focus on people who are uh showing a culture that you don't like Mm -hmm. does that make sense who are making decisions that are not conducive to a culture that you would like to have or a quiddity that you would like to have or conversely you can also focus on building up virtue in the individual person and then having a body of virtuous individuals, some sort of virtuous emergence will come. Yes, I agree with that. Um, Though I would say that um, the, the biggest input into what that culture or that quiddity will be is who you let in the door. Mm -hmm. And so being really con again, this is outside of student life, but just a, a thing to be conscious of is if you're at a school where you're able to be selective of who's there, those decisions of the teachers, the administration, the, staff, the students, 
Um, that's what's going to shape the direction of the school because culture is made up of these individuals. It's like we let when we let that third member into this podcast, yeah, AJ, all things. those yeah. episodes ago. Totally just destroyed things. <laughs> I've totally destroyed the quiddity of this podcast. I definitely agree with that. The quiddity was AJ and I huddled together on one chair because we only had one microphone. Cheek to cheek. Basically cheek to cheek in both senses of the word. Like and the, um, or, um, and just talking about... We would talk together. We'd get sick together because we were breathing <laughs> each other's air. That's disgusting, actually. Yep. I'm glad that we are now further apart. You're welcome. Yeah, you, 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 talking about culture. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, you're, bacterial uh, culture. Bacterial culture, quite clearly. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, uh, yeah, the the events, the life of the school is going to be unique to it. That's the quiddity. And then that culture is an emergent property. And the way that to get at culture is through individuals would be the way that I would summarize that. Um, uh, thought the next one, um, student life is one piece of a broader mission of the school. And that's a thing that always has to be kept in mind. Um, one of my... Uh, favorite resources over the last few years was Dr. Walt Mueller. Uh, he's he uh, is the president of the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. How do you like that for a title? He has a couple podcasts. One of them is Youth Culture Matters. And years ago, he had a podcast about how within churches, a majority, I forget the exact number, but it was like 90% of church conflict originates in the youth group was the was the thing that he was commenting on. <laughs> um, that's hilarious in what way like, oh it's just uh, i don't know it's just i there's there's that's where all the like there's energy and yes. lack a lot of, of filters a lot of hormones and and, and uh, kids are like we gotta shake this up we oh. need we need drums in the worship band <laughs> well i mean also that it was the staff the, the, the con- oh, their, their complex yeah. statement was about youth pastors and the entire church and uh but it's the same idea of um, youth pastor is spending all this time with students who want to change things, which motivates the youth pastor then to then want to change lots of things. Mm-hmm. And their point is, you know, a problem. There are lots of questions about like a youth ministry within a church, which I don't want to go into. But you essentially have a pastor within a ch- you have a church within a church. I guess I would ch- I would say, which creates certain problems. That's the point of that podcast. But just to say that, um, I, can, I think it's a great idea to make a church out of totally immature yes. people with lots of exactly. hormones flying around. It yeah. seems awesome. And you give them a lot of say in the church by having, you know, but you want engagement. Yes, exactly. But how has that engagement panned out? Um, the only point to say is that, um, uh, at a school, student life exists alongside many other, um, uh, parts of the school. Yeah, and faculty that, life. What's that? Yeah. Faculty well, life. Faculty, I think, uh, a ministry to teachers, I think it would be an important. <laughs> what part. you're saying maybe is that you think they should bring us muffins every morning. And yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I want, I, every time I walk in the classroom, I want my students to stand up and say, good morning, Mr. Donaldson has yet to happen. I put it out there every year. No anyway. one does it. Um, no, I mean more that a part of me being on this podcast is like a sign that I'm not just here to be the fun guy. Speaking of bacteria from before. No, um, is, hey, oh, um, is that oh. like, what drew me to Veritas in the first place was classical education. It wasn't, I want to put on big dances because dances are fun. Um, it's that the work of the school academically is important. And in whatever way the student life piece can support the like mission of the school. Uh, like that's a thing that uh, um, I wanted to be a part of for five years and was. So just, again, just from talking with other people in student life, it's just being very conscientious that you are not the center of the school. You are not the point of the school, the emergent, work that all of you are doing together is the point. And that involves athletics, fine arts, academics. It involves the entire school. And it's not just you being the white knight, um, making changes that you think are interesting to the school. And again, this is just something, yeah, I've just talked with a lot of people over five years who think that like the only thing that the school is about is student life. And it's definitely not. 
Um, following on with that is that even at your most effective in that student piece from before, you are not a replacement for um, the larger web of influences that a um, student has. And again, be this in the college or the high school level, whichever student you're working with, um, they have a family. If you're in the Christian setting like we are, they have a church. And, um, you know, even if you if you spend an hour a week with with students, like in a mentorship relationship thing, um, that pales in comparison to what, um, these are rough numbers I, I ran through, but it's probably seven hours a day that they're, no, is that eight hours a day that they're with their family? 56 hours, uh, you know, 50 or 60 hours that they're with their family a week, probably 40 hours that they're in classes or doing homework, maybe as a high estimate. Um, but it just pales in comparison to the rest of what they have going on. And so I, I just think it's, anyone who's in this ministry work needs to not over think too much of what they're doing. I, I don't want them to think too little. Your work is important, but don't think too much of, you know, if you don't say the exact right word, this child is going to be crushed and they're not going to work through an issue. They have lots of other resources and things are going to be okay for these people. You should do your work. You should try and build these bridges. Like I'm saying, but you shouldn't be too worried about, um, you make one misstep and then like an entire student's life falls apart. That's not how these things are going to work. I don't know if you all feel this. Yeah. You only have them for four years. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'll, I will probably only teach students directly for two, right. which isn't a lot of time. Right. I mean, even in the scheme of things, I have them for what, three hours a week right. for two years, for two years, something like that. It's not, it's not great. Which and even in so, our high school context doesn't include summers. Right. So it's only nine months out right. of the year. Sure. If you're, if you're lucky, you can have an impact and, I think 72 hours in the class. Yeah. It's yeah. a good idea to remember that some of their biggest moments, like think back to myself. Some of my biggest moments happened before high school and in college. Yes. And so my poor high school teachers were killing themselves. And yes, some of my greatest moments were just hanging out with friends. And those yes. are the lessons that I take. I so. would not be able to name all of my high school teachers from ninth grade to 12th grade Me in either. a row. Not no even way. close. Me neither. Um, and so and what's, again, I don't want to like take that too far and be like, you shouldn't care about the work that you're doing if you work at a school. But you should, if you're a teacher, you should get your... You, you shouldn't care about the harvest. You care about the yes. sowing. Yeah, sure. You just do, do the, the right thing consistently and uh, you, and you can't worry outcome. about how the, the, the thing is going to land or how it's going to grow. Yes. But that doesn't mean that you... But you, yeah, you care about the sowing. You care yes. about doing that faithfully. And so then in the same vein as that, so that's... Mm-hmm. So even if you're most effective, you're only one piece of a much larger web of influences. This The final point then. So if... Put, if putting all your time into this into student life work or ministry work uh, would be it'd be overkill to just only do that all the time, then what should you be doing? And um, I, I I've worked in nonprofits for a long time. In college, I worked for an educational nonprofit here in Austin, and um, one of the the my manager at the time had this told the story about being in the Peace Corps and how. I, I think she worked, I don't remember where she worked as a part of the Peace Corps, somewhere international. And she would see these people get so frustrated um, in the Peace Corps because they were there to like turn entire countries around. Like that was their goal was this country is in poverty and there's poor education and, you know, healthcare is bad. I'm going to be a piece of fixing all those things. And no one person is going to accomplish that. Um, Would the two are so simple? 
Would that it were so simple. Yeah. Um, but th- that the people who were, I don't know what that's from. Sorry. Oh, it's, sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's from a movie. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Movies are great. Um, but the people who were not frustrated out of their minds were the ones who were there to either learn something or were there for the experience of two years being in somewhere international and mm-hmm. doing work that mattered. But then their concern was, I'm going to be here for two years and do the work that I should do. Not, I'm going to have this giant outcome. It's shouldering like some sort of messiah complex where I'm going to yeah, come I'm going to be the everything. one who fixes this yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, thousands of years before me, whatever state is there, hasn't been able to do it. I'm going to be the one to turn it around. Mm-hmm. Doesn't work. So then what should your view be toward this work of either ministry or um, uh, student life? Um, is that if it's your full-time vocation, there should be a certain level to which you say it is a job where there are hours that you put into it. There are boundaries that you put on that work. And then outside of that work, you should live a full life. That um, we've talked many times about how a purpose of education is to make little copies of yourself. And that if that's true, then you should be becoming the best version of yourself, which would be if you want the, the kids that you work with to grow up, to get married and have children, you should get married and have children. If you think that the, the people that the students you work with should have close relationships where they um, uh, have great friendships with people, you should have great friendships and spend lots of time with those people. Um, y- whatever, you should not have higher expectations on the students that you work with than you do on yourself, I guess is one way to put it. And that you should be enforcing those expectations on yourself with your free time um, outside of the school to be becoming that kind of person that you'd want them to look up to and be like. If gold shall rust, what if gold does rust, what shall iron do? Yeah. Right? It's from Canterbury Tales. Yeah. The, 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 the priest is supposed to uh, embody the lessons that he preaches. Yeah. I think that's, again, in this work of ministry, it's I think it's easy to focus on like I need these students to turn out a certain way um, and lose sight of who am I becoming as a part of this. Um, so just again, that that's part of the don't overwork. Don't uh, have a good family life, have a good relationship with your husband or wife. Like that will matter a lot more to the work of ministry even itself. Okay. That's all the, the points that I'll just, I'll run through again very quickly is that um, again, this is just me reflecting on what I've learned from um, five years of being in student life. Student life sp- ends up splitting into these two pieces of the student component, connections with students, and the life component, the events, the activities, the projects that you're putting on. On the student side, what I've always very much valued and, and think is important to this role is building bridges to every student, not just to the ones that you like off the bat. Two, then using those bridges to reach the students to push them, to try and get them to the better versions of themselves. Three, to have an unconditional positive regard for the person that they could be for the best version of that student. Four, building um, structures, building events, building things at the school where every student knows that they belong or could belong if they want to be involved. Um, uh, Five, getting students involved in the planning and putting on of events as much as is possible. Uh, six, seeing the uniqueness of the place where you work, the quiddity of the place where you work and putting on events that meet that quiddity, meet that uniqueness. Um, seven, viewing culture more as an emergent property wherein you can have impacts on the students, on the individuals, and that will have impacts on the culture instead of going after culture directly. Cause I don't know if that's a thing you can really do. Um, eight, uh, seeing student life is just one piece of a broader mission of whatever, institution that you're a part of, be that a college, be that a high school, be that whatever. Uh, nine, even at your most effective, you're just one part of a larger web of influences on that given student. 
which then leads into 10. Um, watch how your time is spent. Make sure that you're becoming the type of person that you would want your students to become as they grow up. That is what I got. That's good. I feel like there's like so many other directions that we should continue on with this, mm-hmm. but we're out of time. I mean, it's also more than just a good look into student life. A lot of those principles can be applied to all leadership. Totally. Right. I, I agree. Focus with that. on the individual. If you want culture to change and you have to change people in yeah. the small, and then if you like, if you want a big shift, you have to smart that, start that by moving small blocks. Yes. Cool. I, again, I don't, you all have already said this. Some of this doesn't apply to teachers mm-hmm. specifically. Well, there's, there's built, there's already sort of built in expectations and roles that are slight, that are different and sure. that are, I don't know. But I know I, um, I can't remember who the professor is, who I heard this from, but an older professor was talking with a younger professor. The younger professor was talking about how he hated this one student who was always distracted in class. Um, didn't have anything interesting to say. And again, this is in a college setting. And the older professor said, um, uh, I forget if it's, I think it was, what is the student's name? And the younger professor didn't know the student's yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. It was just, you know, a classroom of a hundred people. And they, they, all they knew was it's the annoying kid who sits in the third row. Um, and so the, what the older teacher said to the younger teacher was learn the student's name and greet them every day that they walk into your classroom. Um, and so he did that and it totally turned things around because it no longer was, I'm anonymous face in the crowd. I am, Steve, I don't remember the guy's name. I'm Steve, who my teacher knows, and I'm on the hook for how I act. No, maybe. Distance learning is the future. <laughs> I look. There are parts of it where I think it makes a lot of sense. And um, But for what you all do, I don't think distance learning would work. But I would hate it. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I could continue to no. do it. Like, I would have to quit my job. But I there think. are Just get robust. homeschooling yeah. teachers that focus on online and have a lot of success through that. Um, I, I mean, you, I don't you, think you would have I to completely rethink what, yes. the school. Like, it's a completely different... You would have to completely rethink everything. I just get exhausted. I have a hard time staring at yeah. blank screens when the kids turn their cameras off. It's it's just hard. Sure. Yeah. Like distance is hard. Cool. All right, that's all I got. Awesome. Well, this has been classical okay, stuff Graham. you should know. Keep doing and it. Graham's ready AJ, to end this episode. Just uh, <laughs> just just you can take it away there, big guy. <laughs> this has been classical stuff you should know. Sorry. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's totally cool. I love that enthusiasm. Uh, you can find us online at classicalstuff.net. You can tweet at us at C-L-S-S-C-A-L stuff. You can email us at theguys at classicalstuff.net. And you can support us on Patreon if you like at Patreon slash classical stuff. Patreon.com. Patreon.com slash classical stuff. That's a, that's a place where you can find our in-between episodes and extra little goodies that we put out for you. Access to talks we do for conferences and that sort of thing. And when we have sponsors, that's where our ad-free episodes show up and you can get those at the lowest level. So if you want to support what we're doing, you are welcome. If not, then hey, we're still going to keep making episodes so you can keep on tuning in every week, except for maybe one week in July because I'm going to be taking a break up in Washington. So when I get back, it's kind of still up in the air. There might be one week in July when we don't have an episode up and that might come directly after this episode. So if you're listening to this next week, there may not be an episode. So if one doesn't show up, you know, that's that's all part of the plan. Okay, and that's that's it for us. So this is Classical Stuff signing off. Bye. Ciao.